You're listening to the Episcopal Constellation in the Shires of Vermont. We hope you enjoy this podcast. The scripture for this episode's wisdom comes from Peter's first letter, chapter 2, verses 19 to 25. Our ears to hear you, our eyes to see you, our behavior to share you. Glory be to you, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. It feels like an Easter blessing. I have Chris Draffin in the wings. I have I have Sharon Nag- I have Susan Nagel in the wings. You guys don't even need me anymore. Like you've got the all-star group here. Um, but I'll stick around if that's okay. But really, it's like I'm like, oh, I get all the warm and fuzzies. Um, as we get started this morning, so. I think the season of Easter is the hardest season to preach in. Um, I don't know, if, Susan, you would agree with me that it's the hardest season to preach in, but it's, it's the hardest season because in every other season, there is an aspect of the not quite yet that's actually easier to relate to. In Advent, you can preach the coming of God, the coming of God in your heart, the coming of God incarnate in creation, the coming of God in the second coming, but is this coming, this not yet here? In Epiphany, you have this revelation from God, this light from God, this thing that you don't necessarily touch. It is beyond the veil and shines through. And in Lent, there is this brokenness of who we are and yet a hope of who we could be. But in Easter... In Easter, it's this time when we have to celebrate Jesus' conquering of death, his redeeming of sin, his creating a whole new paradigm for a way of being. And the reason that that's so hard to preach is because you're preaching a victory already achieved, even though all of us are still living the same material difficulties of life. If you were dealing with food insecurity before April 9th, you're probably still dealing with with that now. If your marriage was under strain, or your job was in fragile place, or your health was under careful watch, chances are Easter didn't change any of those things. And so how do we find victorious comfort and joy when our lives don't seem to be any different than they were before? That's why theologies like prosperity gospel don't work. Belief in God and faithfully praying to win the lottery is not going to win the lottery. I have tried. It is not going to win the lottery. But my spiritual director reminded me that Ignatian spirituality, the spirituality of of Ignatius and the Jesuits, is focused on two things gratitude and desperation. In Mark chapter 9, the boy's father asks Jesus for help, and he says, Lord, I believe. Help my disbelief. In the only letter, today we get the only letter that scholars believe was actually written by Peter himself. This Simon Peter, the rock that the church should be built upon, the guy that Jesus entrusted all that he had endowed, And so this dude, he says, 
life after Jesus doesn't necessarily get materially better, right? The things, this tangible things of this life don't get better. And then he compounds that statement to say that's actually good for the Jesus movement. That Jesus didn't die for you to win or for you to win or for you to specifically win. He died for you to die. Take up your cross and follow me is what Jesus says, right? with a positive message like that. How Peter was entrusted to be the motivational speaker for the entire church is kind of boggling. And yet, not only was Peter transformative in people's lives, but almost every single verse of Peter's only letter of 1 Peter is is said in other New Testament writings. Peter, Petrine theology, Petrine words, He wasn't saying anything new. He didn't want to say anything new. He wanted to regurgitate, reiterate. He wanted to echo what Jesus was saying. Peter's words from today's readings, they're paralleled in Luke chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 13. I have said it over and over and over again. God is consistent And yet Peter is exemplifying that it's not just consistency, it's modeling. Peter's claim to fame is that he's not, he doesn't want to be original. He doesn't want to be the person to be like, ah, I want to be Pete. No, he wants to be a pass-through. He just wants to point you back to Jesus. He wants to be an example that gets you back to the center. Peter got that and he wants us to get it too. You don't give a man a fish, you teach a man how to fish. There is no difference between the Old Testament God, the God of the Hebrew Bible, and the New Testament God. It is the same God. The only thing that's different is the teaching technique that God uses to help us understand our relationship with God differently. In the Old Testament, God gave us a fish. He gave us the laws. He said, don't do this, do do that. And that didn't work for us. So in the New Testament, he said, here's how you fish. Here's how you do the laws. This is the thing that you should exemplify. For this you have been called, God says through Peter, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. For this you have been called, God says, through Peter, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. I call Jesus the original martyr because when we think of martyrs, we think of someone dying for their cause, someone who lives such a noble and venerable life such a life worth emulating and following, such a life that you look at that person and you said, I should have lived that way. That is the way of Jesus. For the rest of the world out there, beyond these walls, beyond this space, 
People are constantly asking what their purpose in life is. But inside these walls, that purpose is already given to you. Your purpose is to follow in his steps. That is the victory. That is the resurrection of Easter. Church historian Rodney Stark, he uh, estimates that in about year 40, so seven to 10 years after the crucifixion, there are probably only about 1,000 Christians. And yet, 160 years later, by the year about 200, there were over 200,000. 50 years after that, 1.2 million. Of all the people that we know from the book of Acts and from the Gospels, the, you know, Luke and, and Matthew, the people who saw Jesus, who saw a risen Jesus, the amount of people who saw his wounds, touched his hands, that was actually kind of small. And yet from that very small number of people that actually had the hard evidence, an entire movement is birthed. If the spread and the work of the church is by God, but through the everyday people like you and me, everyday people who did not get a chance to touch his wounds, see them for ourselves, what would it mean to imagine a world where we could connect people to this wonderful community we have here today? Where we could plug people into a spiritual life that asked them to go deeper? where we could argue for Jesus' values of loving God and loving neighbor to be more present in our world than we currently are. In a few weeks, we're going to get to my absolute favorite holiday, Pentecost. I playfully refer to it as the anniversary of the day Jesus gave us our superpowers. And we get to take this time here now leading up to that special day to think about just how wonderful Jesus really is. So that when we get to that anniversary, when we get out, when we get to the point where we are mobilized, catalyzed, and spread, we can appreciate what that truly means. St. James and St. Peter's are embarking on a time during this Easter season. Both parishes in this early part before Pentecost and a couple weeks after Pentecost where we're examining more than just what we think we should offer what we have historically offered 10, 20, 50 years ago, and instead channel the joys that we know here and now and share it with the world so that they may have that joy too. To ask the questions of what does Arlington need now? What does Bennington need now? Not what did it need? Not who were we? But who could this place become? What are we called into? If Jesus was an example to us, that would be an example to others. Well, then Christianity is either the most amazing grassroots organization ever, or it's a pyramid scheme. <laughs> if you don't have faith, you might think it's a pyramid scheme, right? Because essentially you're like, I've got to do this and then sell this to other people. What's in it for me? Except if you have faith, then it makes it all worth it. The giant problem, the thing that the church as a whole has to confront, is that we are living in a time when I can't convince you of faith. 
There's no argument that I can say that proves Jesus and God in your heart. I have a lot of talents. That ain't one of them. The closest that anyone ever got was when C.S. Lewis said, he said, well, you'll never really know for sure. So like, isn't it better to err on the side of optimism? (laughs) If that's the best, if that's the best answer that I think one of the best theologians of the last 2,000 years came up with, I'm definitely not going to do better than that. We are not going to do better than that. And so the difference is, if it's not about convicting logically into faith, well, then when you think of godly people, of people who you look up to, are they the people that cheated others? Are they people who manipulated their ways to the top or diminished others so that they could succeed? Or instead... When you think of people in your life who you're like, I wish I were like them, person after person after person, what do they model for you? What do they model for you in the way that they live their life? Looking at the life of another who sat right beside you or in front of you or behind you, and years from now, all you can think of is, gosh, I hope I'm like, at least I I hope I'm like a little bit like them, right? That's because a life worth living is not a life focused on the self. It is a life modeled for others, that they might live for others still. If you walk away from this morning with nothing else, I pray that you walk away with one hope, that you inspire others to live a life that is worth inspiring others still. It's not just that you inspire someone, it is, uh, it's that you pass that so that they carry that forward. Because in that is the call by our great I am. In that is the call of this golden world in which we reside. In that is the call of every single thing we do from mentoring in work and school, from raising children, from growing our businesses and organizations. Everything we do is in hope that someone else takes that baton and carries it just a little bit further, that they might hand that baton off to someone else. Happy season of Easter. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you've enjoyed it, Please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts or your other podcast providers. See you next week.